Hi there, and welcome to Behind the Curtain, where we go deep into the issues of the day and talk to people who know what's behind the smokescreen of what they want you to see and what's really going on. I'm Jackie Guzda. It's the pesticides in our dinner plates, a chemical so pervasive it's in the air we breathe, our water, our soil, and even increasingly found in our own bodies. Known as Monsanto's Roundup by consumers and as glyphosate by scientists, the world's most popular weed killer is used everywhere from backyard gardens to golf courses to millions of acres of farmland. For decades, it has been touted as safe enough to drink but a growing body of evidence indicates just the opposite, with research tying the chemical to cancers and a host of other health threats. Carrie Gillum is a veteran journalist, researcher, and writer with more than 25 years of experience covering corporate America, food, and farming. A former senior correspondent for Reuters International News Service, Gillum was instrumental in bringing the dangers of glyphosate to public attention. So today, we welcome the author of the book, Whitewash, Carrie Gillum. Hello. Thanks Hi. for having me. It's our pleasure, believe me. So let's talk a little bit about Roundup. Um, I know one of my neighbors said to me, oh, what's wrong with it? I, I put it on my grass. And the other day, I come out, and another one of my neighbors is spraying it all over the place. But we know that the International Agency for Research on Cancer told us that it was a probable carcinogen in 2015. Is that right? That is correct. And I guess I would ask your neighbors, um, you know, were they wearing protective gear? Were they, they wearing were any, any gloves or boots or uh, a breathing mask? Right. What, what we've learned, not only um, does our International Agency for Research on Cancer, which is part of the World Health Organization, not only have they found it to be a probable carcinogen, but, I mean, the most worrisome thing that we have learned over the last few years is that Monsanto internally tells its own people who deal with glyphosate-based herbicides like Roundup to, to wear protective equipment, mm. to wear protective gear over their arms and their legs. We know that it can be rapidly absorbed into human skin and get into the bloodstream and that it can accumulate in the bone, for instance. Uh, the science and the information from inside Monsanto that has come out in the last several years has shown, you know, really sort of twofold that, that this is dangerous, yes, which many pesticides are. Um, but that the company has worked so hard to tell people the opposite and to really convince people that they didn't need to take precautions. And that's, you know, that's where the heart of this controversy and this debate lies right now. Yeah, because one of my neighbors said to me, how could this be so dangerous? It's, it's on the shelves at uh, Home Depot at Lowe's. She just couldn't make that connection between something that could be so dangerous and have it so readily available. Right. Well, you know, tobacco and cigarettes, uh, you know, have been readily available and on store shelves for a long, long time. Uh, we have a, a long history of a number of products that are sold to consumers and, and uh, in other, you know, to other markets 
um, that have been shown to be dangerous long after, you know, many, many decades of corporate uh, assertions that they're not dangerous. So mm -hmm. um, the story of glyphosate and Roundup, we've seen from the internal documents uh, that have come out from Monsanto and others, uh, you know, that, that this is very much the case here, that dangers uh, to not only human health, but to environmental health have been known and been talked about sort of secretly and internally uh, and with regulators, but the message to the public has been a very different message. Mm. Well, let me ask you, just how dangerous is glyphosate? Well, you know, if you, <laughs> it depends on which scientific study you're looking at, uh, your, your length of exposure, your rate of exposure, uh, your, your own human health susceptibility, if you have a compromised immune system or if you're particularly vulnerable, a child or, or perhaps someone who's elderly, you know, we, we all have different susceptibilities to different uh, things. And as I said earlier, glyphosate-based herbicides like Roundup are pesticides. They're designed to be toxic to living things. They're designed to be toxic to plants, to kill off weeds and other, other unwanted uh, plants. So it should be no surprise that they could be dangerous to humans. And what our International Agency for Research on Cancer determined, they looked at over a thousand different studies uh, that had been conducted on this over many, many years by scientists around the world. And they found uh, that there was limited evidence of cancer in humans. Uh, these were from epidemiology studies. Strong evidence of genotoxicity done in, these are in vitro, sort of in the laboratory looking at, at cell cultures. Uh, and, and then, um, you know, a lot of evidence seen in toxicology data. We don't really do studies on people most of the time. You know, we don't take people mm -hmm. and put them in a cage and very carefully dictate what they take in. But we do it with animals. Right. And uh, rats and mice and dogs and have all shown uh, that this particular chemical can be very, very uh, damaging, not only, not only with a cancer, um, cancer diagnosis or development of cancer, but also reproductive health is shown to be compromised, uh, liver and kidney uh, impairment, so a range of things. If you're not, you know, like the message, I guess, of whitewash, and I hope people understand, is, you know, this is a situation where a company has been deceitful about the science surrounding a product that is sold very widely. And because of that, people have not taken precautions that they otherwise might have been taking. Um, but why so can't Monsanto market a different product? Why can't they? they yeah, they if it is so have. dangerous. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what, what, if they know the danger, why don't they deal with that? and either stop yeah. producing it or, you know, is, is the profit motive so strong is my question. Well, of course. I mean, and that would be the, the age-old question I guess we've had about, you know, PCBs and asbestos and, uh, you know, and again, tobacco and um, PFOA, you know, a whole assortment of, of products that are sold by very large companies. Um, you know, this particular chemical and this particular herbicide product was responsible for billions of dollars in revenue every year for this company, Monsanto. And, uh, you know, Monsanto has been acquired by Bayer um, about a year ago. Uh, this is a highly lucrative line of business, and uh, they certainly were not are not about to give that up uh, without 
quite a lot of push and shove from from some outside force. Mm. So, so how pervasive is this? I mean, like you said, Monsanto even has their own people covering up. But what are the ramifications, uh, perhaps, on children playing in yards that have just been sprayed? Right. And again, I mean, this is the most widely used herbicide in the world. Uh, glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, has been documented to be more widely used than, than any other uh, pesticide in history. Um, just for for a matter of reference point, you know, we used about 24, you know, million pounds or so um, in the 1990s. And now we're up to close to 300 million pounds. Mm. And this is just in the United States. And uh, because of that, it's found in our water, drinking water. It's been documented by government researchers in our water su- supplies. It's been documented in a whole array of food that we consume and feed our kids. Uh, it's, it's even been documented in air samples, if you can believe that, by mm. our U.S. Geological Survey. So it's very pervasive. And, of course, children are our most vulnerable um, population. And children are exposed to this both through diet, um, through water, and, and yes, if they're playing in playgrounds or, you know, at home on their lawn where their parents have been out spraying. Uh, in fact, there's a hearing um, and a, a lawsuit that has recently been filed uh, for a young boy, a 12-year-old boy who has developed non-Hodgkin lymphoma mm. after years and years and years of going with his father, going around, toddling around after his father as he sprayed uh, Roundup all around there. The oh, property. my God. So, so, you know, so where's our protection? Uh, it can be very dangerous. Yeah. Where's, where's the sorry? EPA? Where's our protection? Where's the EPA on this? Well, you know, sadly, a lot of people don't realize that our Environmental Protection Agency doesn't do any independent testing of these chemicals um, that they are registering, that they are allowing out in, into the world. Uh, they largely rely on tests that are done by the people, the companies that are selling these chemicals. So, wow. <laughs> uh, you know, there's there's a built-in bias already. And in, in my book, I the book is really built on a lot of freedom of information documents that I've obtained from the EPA and uh, USDA and FDA, as well as some internal Monsanto records. But it, it shows you how a, a real push-pull between scientists inside the EPA who – even Monsanto's own studies showed reason for concern way back in the 80s. I mean, there were uh, EPA scientists saying, this looks like it could cause cancer. <laughs> this was mm. back in 1983. Mm. And, uh, you know, Monsanto said, no, you're just not looking at it right. You know, let us tell you how to do your assessment. And it ultimately, those scientists were overruled and uh, the product was determined, you know, to be, to be safe. And as a consequence, it's sprayed directly on many of our food crops, which is why we have uh, residues so pervasively in, in food. Mm-hmm. Mm. So a scientist can do a study, but the company will come in and said, just wait a minute. Um, you're just not interpreting the data correctly. That's what we've seen time and time again mm. uh, with this particular example. We've seen Monsanto for almost every study. I, I cannot even think of one of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of studies that have come out. Never have they said, um, yeah, you know, that looks like a real problem. Let's look at that. Maybe we should change our formulation. Maybe we should 
do something different. Maybe we shouldn't market it to be sprayed directly on wheat um, or oats because the residues are showing up in oatmeal. Mm. Um, They've never said that. They've always said the science that's critical of their product is wrong and that their science is the only science that is valid. Oh, that's great. Um, But isn't there some, perhaps they're looking at it as if there's some kind of safe levels that we can handle as humans? The residues, when you talk about residues in foods, yes. I mean, there are different levels that are um, regulated by the EPA, for instance. And so residues in your food, there's a tolerance level that is set. Um, If Monsanto wants to market glyphosate-based herbicides to be sprayed on oats, for instance, goes to the EPA and it says, we expect this amount of residue will be left, you know, X parts per million mm-hmm. uh, in the finished in the finished product. And and this is why we think it's safe. And the EPA then will look at that and will say yes or no. Uh, that parts per million level will be considered legally safe. And so that becomes law. And what we've seen over time and what I talk about in whitewashes is that over time, those safe levels have changed. So, you know, it used to be five parts per million was safe, but then Monsanto wanted to sell it, you know, they wanted a little bit more volume. And so now 30 parts per million oh, is safe. So they're raising, you know, and then they yeah. go back to the, they're raising these thresholds uh, over and over and over again. And we have in the United States the highest legal, legally allowed levels of these pesticides in our food. Mm. Uh, other countries, don't don't do this like we do. <laughs> uh, let's get let's talk more about this. Um, let's talk about the players, the politics involved. This revolving door between uh, people who work in the industry and then become regulators, and sometimes go back to the industry. Can we name some yeah. names there? Right. I mean, we we see this over and over and over again uh, with the EPA, with the FDA. You know, we had a Monsanto lawyer running the FDA for a long time, Michael Taylor. Um, You see people go back and forth. You have, um, you know, people from the the chemical industry who are in position in the EPA to regulate the chemical industry, and you see them come in and and try to water down the regulations. Um, I mean, there are many, many examples in the case of Monsanto, the most egregious one probably is this gentleman named um, Jess Rowland, and he ran the Cancer Assessment Review Committee, the uh, review process, to determine whether or not Monsanto's product could be carcinogenic. And you can see in internal emails that Monsanto considered him a very good friend, and they had personal conversations and he tipped him off to different things and they talked about planning for his retirement and how he could be helpful to them in the defense of their product and uh you know all sorts of things and he you know there are things that i lay out in the book you know there was a a leak of some information that was very helpful to monsanto that jess Rowland controlled and it was somehow leaked to monsanto to use in a court hearing but uh, and just rolling that was right before he left the agency, and you know then he went and got work with the chemical industry. I mean, it just mm. you know it goes on and on and on. There's a lot of money in Washington D.C. We've allowed you know corporate power and corporate wealth to dictate um, you know much of our policy matters when it comes to regulating you know 
chemicals and and other other of course oil and gas and pharmaceutical and others mm-hmm. but uh, the chemical industry to a large degree uh, you know is is controlling our, our regulatory agencies and it, it's not good for public health it's great for corporate profits but it's certainly not good for the rest of us it's that old push and pull right between making a profit yeah. and who suffers because of it so if this exactly. is go- yeah, yeah this is going on and it's it seems like it's much bigger than anything that you or I could tackle in your research in your work did you come up with any solutions to this big problem to the political problem to, to the yeah great to both <laughs> well agriculture let's look at agriculturally number 1 is there any practical thing that can be used apart from Roundup. And then we can talk about the political ramifications, how we deal with those problems. Certainly, yes. And this this argument of this debate has evolved over time. I mean, for for very many years, decades, Monsanto's position and the position of others, their lobbyists and others in the agrochemical industry was that you can't grow enough food to feed the world without this chemical without this product. People will starve. Um, So you need this to feed the world. Well, there isn't really any data or uh, even anecdotal information that is supportive of that, but that's become the narrative. Um, But not only do we have human health concerns, the overuse of this particular chemical has resulted in a whole host of environmental problems. Uh, Number one being the, the health of the soil has deteriorated over time by this repeated use of this chemical, which has eroded the health of the soil uh, microbiome, the necessary bacteria and fungi that help plants actually be healthy and nutritious. So farmers who've been using this understand, even if they don't care if it causes cancer or know or worry about that, they're worried about their ability to, to keep growing healthy food. And the weed resistance that has developed on over 100 million acres is another problem. So Glyphosate-based herbicides aren't working like they used to. They're eroding the health of the soil. Weed resistance has developed, so farmers have to spend more money and time and effort. A lot of farmers are having to hand-weed their fields Mm. um, because the chemical doesn't even kill them. We're losing the monarch population. You know, there's a whole host of environmental problems. So long answer to your question, uh, many farmers, and even the USDA is encouraging many farmers to develop alternatives such as more natural things, crop rotation, use of cover crops, getting away from monocrops that that helps encourage the development of weeds, a lot of more time-honored agricultural practices that were in place before Monsanto brought this chemical to market. You know, we haven't, it hasn't been here forever. Um, Glyphosate-based herbicides were introduced in the 1970s, when, of course, farmers were growing food long before the 1970s. So, it's really about just regaining some balance, um, understanding we sort of swung a bit too far with this chemical dependence in agriculture and food production and trying to get everything back in balance, get the soil health back, um, try to restore some biodiversity and hopefully protect and enhance human health mm. you know, in, the, in the process. Old school solutions. So let's, Old school. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the political what in God's name can we do about well, that? 
you know, as many people as I talk to about this, really, the, the bottom line is you need a whole paradigm shift. You need to get corporate money out of Washington. We cannot have our lawmakers, uh, you know, and, and these political appointees who are running our regulatory agencies and our lawmakers also dependent, so beholden on the millions of dollars that are flowing into the system from corporations. It just it just can't work to the public benefit uh, when we allow what we're allowing in our country. And there are a number of you know groups that are trying to pop up um, and and candidates who are saying we're not going to take any corporate money and different efforts. I I don't know that they have legs. I don't know that we're going to get anywhere, but um, Certainly, that's that's the bottom line answer. Mm-hmm. We can't allow corporations to dictate what happens in Washington. Mm. I hear you there. So, so what is the answer? <laughs> well, I, I think that um, one of the stones along the way to the answer is your book, Whitewash, because it, un- it pulls back the curtain. It unveils everything that's going on to create this toxic environment that we're currently living in. So I'd like to read you a, a small blurb from your own book. And this is from Dr. Paul Winchester, the medical director of the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit at St. Francis Health Network in Indianapolis. He says, this is a huge issue. We are convinced there is more than ample science to raise serious concerns over rising herbicide use and exposure. Yet not nearly enough is being done to either dismiss such concerns or study them in a meaningful way. People think global warming is the biggest threat, but it's not. This is. And that's one scary statement. It's a really scary statement. It really is. Um, but, I mean, I'm not going to argue over global warming is a very big deal, but it, it isn't just this chemical. You know, this chemical, this company, you think of that as the poster child, um, the cumulative poster child for a bigger problem. We have this with Dow Chemical and Chlorpyrifos. We have this with DuPont and PFOA. We have five or six chemical companies who have been pushing these just highly toxic chemicals into our daily lives, and people are literally being poisoned. And if you look at cancer rates, if you look at disease, if you look at brain neurodevelopmental issues with children, autism, ADHD, other things, we are seeing a real decline in human health. Now, mortality, you know, we're living, we're living with cancer. You see these ads all the time. Do you see any more ads than for pharmaceuticals on television right now? Live with cancer, chop off a body part, radiate, chemotherapy. Um, But, you know, what we really need to be thinking about is not living with cancer, but trying to prevent cancer and other diseases for our very sick population. And you know, I didn't invent this idea, obviously. We have very leading scientists from within our own government who are trying desperately to shout this from the rooftops. Um, our National Toxicology Program has issued reports saying we need to start focusing on this, these environmental contaminants that, you know, we are killing ourselves. We're eroding IQ points for our children. If you don't care about their health, but care about the economy, we, we can't, you know, be a strong nation when we, our people 
are suffering um, so much. We're losing productivity because of illness and disease. It's a real problem, but the politics keep getting in the way. And we just had a recent example this month in July, Linda Birnbaum, the head of our National Toxicology Program and the head scientist at our National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, she has been one of those people mm. who's been trying to shout, shout the alarm. And what has happened? Lawmakers and political forces and lobbyists have been working really hard to push her out and get rid of her, and uh, they succeeded. Uh, just a few days ago, she announced that she would be leaving and stepping Aww. down. And, um, I mean, you know, this is what happens, and it's very sad. Um, but this is where we are today. And unless people understand it and feel compelled to want to speak up and do something about it, you know, I don't think we're leaving a very healthy future for our children. Mm. Well, don't you quit, Carrie Gillum. I want you to keep researching and uncovering these wrongdoings that both the corporations and the political system are doing to us. Well, I am doing my best. (laughs) You are doing your best, and I have been so honored to have you on my podcast. I want everybody listening to this to go out and get a copy of the book. It's called Whitewash by Carrie Gillum, and you will see even more information that Carrie did not have time to talk about during this podcast. So, Carrie, I want to thank you ever so much for your time and your effort in this this topic. Thank you so much for having me. I I do appreciate it. Great. You take care. This has been Behind the Curtain, a conversation about the issues that affect our lives. Behind the Curtain is produced under the auspices of Western Connecticut State University. Come back and listen. There's a new show at the start and the middle of every month. I'm Jackie Guzda. Talk to you soon.